So Romans chapter 11. Over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Romans 9 through 11, uh, though we haven't touched uh, verse 11 yet. We've spent a few weeks in in 9, a couple of weeks in 10. Um, This week, I don't know that I'm going to get through all of 11, but I will address much of it today. But in Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul, he, as I've said all along, he kind of takes a little parenthetical, uh, has a little parenthetical message to the Jews, his brothers. You know, Paul was a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was raised uh, in... Uh, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews, that's right. He was, a, he was incredibly gifted. He was incredibly... Uh, gifted in his mind and in his academia that he had learned. He had learned under the best. And he had, uh, even to this day, I've said it before, I'll say it again, uh, the, his, the teacher that he was learning under, even to this day, uh, to the uh, Jews, they will look back at Gamaliel as being the last true Pharisee. And uh, that, that isn't meant as a slam, by no means. That actually is meant as an accolade. Um, they're looking back at him and going, that guy right there was a, an incredible mind. He was one that we, we honor and we, we highlight and we look back at a Gamaliel and say, what a man. Well, that's the guy who mentored Paul. And, and that's who taught Paul uh, how to be a Jew, uh, how to be a religious Jew. He understood it very, very well. And then Paul he came to Christ, and as I, as I likened last week, and I took Paul as our example, as we look at in here, uh, Romans chapters 9 through 11, what we have is Paul, he says, listen, uh, he's showing, I have been at the pinnacle of the religious realm in Judaism. I have been rubbing elbows and being taught by the greatest minds, religious minds, in Jewish tradition, in, in uh, the Torah, in the law, in the prophets, I understand it. I lived it. I passionately lived it. In fact, he so passionately lived it, he was so angry with the Christian sect that he was actually asking for papers so that he could actually go out and squash what we are doing right now, presenting the gospel. Paul would be in that day, he would walk into a door like this and find Christians and he would arrest us and break our families apart. Some of us would die. Some of us would go to prison. Others of us would be separated from our families for the rest of our lives. That's how passionate Paul was saying that what we are teaching is wrong. What we're teaching is absolutely blasphemous. But then, on his way to modern day Syria, He was going to Damascus. He was on his way up there to arrest a bunch of us. And God knocked him off his horse onto the ground and he blinded him with light. And he spoke to Paul and he said, Paul, his name was Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, well, who are you, Lord, that I'm persecuting? He says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, at that moment, I'm thinking Paul is probably thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I was so sure that I was doing the right thing. And yet, all the while I'm doing it, 
something wasn't right. Have you ever done something like that where you just thought you were doing something right, but somewhere deep down inside of you, you're going, something just isn't right. And only to find out later that you, that little voice down in there said, don't do this. You know, that isn't right. Uh, that happens to us quite often. Why? Well, I, I believe that that was what was going on in Paul's heart. I think that he was confused. I think that he was struggling. And yet, Paul, I, I've done a life study on Paul. Paul had a mindset that, and there was a, a teaching even back in that day, that if a Jew, I don't know if you know this, but if a Jew could perfectly live according to the law, perfectly live for one day according to all 613 laws, perfectly, uh, you know, for one 24-hour day, that that demonstration of purity would actually induce God to send his Messiah down upon the face of the earth. And there was the passion of Paul's heart. I will live according to the 613 laws because I want to be the one to actually call God's Messiah down to the earth. And so Paul was with reckless abandon following God in, and he was following God. He really truly was passionately following God. Or so he thought, until God knocked him off his high horse, right? And he said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, who are you? And I'm persecuting. He says, I'm Jesus. Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? Yeah, I think that that right there is the reason why I say, I think that Paul had that inside, deep feeling that, man, I should be getting more satisfaction out of separating and destroying this blasphemous cult called Christianity. I should be getting more satisfaction out of this because it should be for the Lord, but you know what? Something isn't jiving with me. Something isn't happening in my heart. And, and, and Jesus, he, he highlights that in Paul's life there on the road to Damascus. He says, isn't it hard to do what you're doing? And, the, and, and it's a rhetorical question. It, it's a rhetorical question that demands the answer, yes, Lord, it is. Yes, Jesus, it is very hard to kick against the goats. Now, if you understand what a goat is, a goat is a sharp stick. It's a sharp stick that, you would, uh, that, a, that a, 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 a farmer would be walking behind a plow and as a, a beast of burden, a mule or an oxen or a cow, whatever it was that was out there pulling the uh, plow. Uh, what's that? Pigs. Pigs? Well, yeah, you could use it for pigs too. But as, as, as this oxen is out there pulling a plow and he gets to those hard areas, he just goes, you know what? I, this is too tough. This is hot. I don't want to do this anymore. That little thing, that little prod, that, that goad, that sharp stick... Would, would, he, would, he would prod it with it. He would goad it with it. Now, there were also goads that, that, that were fixed, that were fixed to the plow. Because oftentimes, these animals would be angry that you're poking them and you're, you're telling them to go and they don't want to go anymore. And so what do animals oftentimes do? They kick back at you, right? I don't want to do this anymore. I don't, stop it, stop it. Well, as they do, they hit those sharp goads. And it digs into their legs and they go, oh, man, I want to kick you so bad, farmer, but I can't do it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Paul, doesn't that hurt? I'm doing that and I should be getting satisfaction, but every time I'm doing this, it hurts. Something's not right. 
What do you want me to do, Lord? It's a moment that he understood that, wow, this Jesus knows what he's talking about because he's hit me right where it is, right where I'm at. I'm very religious, and I love God, and I'm trying to please him. I'm trying to do the thing that he wants me to do, but there's not a satisfaction that's going on in my heart, and I don't know why. And every time I, I should, you know, I'm going up to Syria because I want to, I want to destroy this Christian sect even outside of Jerusalem. I want to destroy them everywhere. And I think that if I go everywhere and do it, and I, I cause such an uproar that God's going to be pleased with me. And yet, every time I do it, something's not right. I'm not satisfied. Saul, Saul, isn't it hard for you to kick against the goods? Yes, it is. How did you know? Well, because I'm God. It's me, Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Okay, wait a minute. If I'm doing this for God and I'm doing this against you, okay, wait a minute. You must be God. You're God? What do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to get up and I want you to go into the town that you were going to go in and arrest all these people. And I want you to go to a street called Straight. There you're going to be told where you're going to go and stay for a little bit. And... You're going to be blinded for three days. But after about three days, I'm going to send somebody there and you're going to receive your sight. And then you're going to do some work for me. I don't ever see Jesus rebuking Paul for what he did. Wouldn't we rebuke him? I mean, if I'm God, you know, I, I, I uh, addressed that question yesterday. If we were God, would we allow suffering or if we were God would we and and I didn't get to get too much into it but it's the same kind of a thing here if I were God and I saw somebody that was destroying the church wouldn't I want to just beat them down wouldn't I want to just rail into them Saul what do you think you're doing it's just Jesus dude come on not that God would use the word dude but but here's it maybe he would I don't know if Paul used the word dude maybe that's what he would understand but here's the thing he doesn't rebuke Paul, Saul. He doesn't rebuke him. And that's always fascinated me. You know why it's fascinated me? Because I see that God does not see the way I see. I see that God doesn't look the way that I look. I see that God doesn't feel the way that I feel. I see that according to Isaiah chapter 55, God says, my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are above your thoughts. I, I, you, you, you don't have my mind. I'm trying to teach you to have my mind. I'm trying to, trying to teach you how to have my heart. But until you completely and totally submit yourself to me, you can't find that. You can't learn that. And, 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 so, and so God had a plan for, for Paul and Saul and, and, and he didn't rebuke him. He saw the passion that was in his heart and he's saying, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn that passion into my glory. And so it goes like this. Uh, you know, we've all seen little kids. We've all seen those little kids that have just learned how to walk and, and, and then they learn how to run. You know, the, the kids, you know, as long as your kids are on the ground and they can't get up and walk around or they can't crawl when they're babies, it's pretty safe. You can kind of leave them and you don't have to really keep much of an eye on them because they're there. They are just there. But when they start learning how to walk or crawl or crawl and then walk and then run, now it is like a 
24 hour a day, you know, you got to keep your eye on that kid. And if you have one of those kids or you've seen those kids that just run everywhere they go, they, and they go 100 miles an hour, I pictured that's Paul. Paul is just running. And, and some of those kids, you, you know, they don't, they, their legs work, but this doesn't work yet, right? And so they run. And they can be running as fast as they can. And they're about to run off a couch. And you go, oh, and you reach over there and you do one of those Randy Moss dives, you know, out there and you catch that child and before they go and they hurt themselves. I have this picture of Paul running with his legs going absolutely 150 miles an hour in one direction and God on the road to Damascus picks Paul up and his legs continue to go. But then he just turns him around and says, let me just redirect you a little bit and he puts him back down and he, leave, he, he left a smoke trail as he hit the ground because Paul became one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Saul became Paul. And we have 13 books of the New Testament because of the passion that that man had. I see why God didn't rebuke him. God had a plan for him. Here's the thing. That's who we're talking about. Paul's, Paul's saying, I rose to the pinnacle of Judaism, and I understood it. But then Jesus grabbed a hold of my life, and all of a sudden, I saw those areas in Scripture of, the, of what we call the Old Testament, they call the Law and the Prophets, Here's the thing, what the Jews would call the law and the prophets. Here's the thing. What I saw that were confusing me, they didn't make sense. In Christ, they do make sense. All of a sudden, it's starting to make sense. Some of these passages, and we've talked about those, go back and look it up. You know, you can go online and, and listen to our past messages. You can go back and look at some of these passages in the Old Testament where would confuse a Jew of how in the world could this possibly fit to us? It doesn't make sense. We can't just plug Israel in. We can't plug a person, Moses in. We can't plug Abraham in. We can't plug us in. We can't plug our king in. Who do we plug in there? And, and they never really plugged the Messiah in there because they didn't believe that a Messiah would ever suffer. And yet Jesus did. And because they were so confused on you know, passages back in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, Paul struggled with those things, but in Christ... They all made sense. And I believe that's for three years. The reason why he went for three years in the Arabian desert is that God had to redirect his mind. He had to retrain Paul. Yeah, that area here that you couldn't understand, this is what it meant. This is how it was fulfilled in me, Christ. Oh my goodness, it totally makes sense. And so Paul went from this pinnacle to going to the Christian pinnacle, if you will, and became a major outspoken missionary evangelist pastor paul from the christian realm and so he's been on both pinnacles and he's seen both ways and he's understood both ways and it's for that that paul goes and spends you know three chapters in the book of romans to talk to his brothers because he loves them so much and he's trying to articulate to them hey i know where you're at but i i know what you want i know you have no idea how much I know what you want and you're not getting it. And what I'm trying to articulate to you is that what you're looking for is Christ. I'm just trying to show you. And I know that me even saying Jesus is offensive to you and shuts your mind off like it did mine. And so he has to try to get to his brother some way. And that's one of the ways that he's doing it. Romans chapter nine, we talked about Paul. He was pretty hard on the Jews. 
in, 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 in talking about election and talking about, you know, hey, in the past, this is what you agreed to. You liked God because he was always picking you. But when all of a sudden God picked you along with somebody that you didn't really like, that's when problems came in. When, when God picked Abraham, you liked it because Abraham's your dad. Your great, 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 great to the 24th power grandpa, you know, whatever. And then he picked Isaac and you came from Isaac. And so you're happy with that. And then he picked Jacob and you're happy with that pick, that, that choice, because it included you. And as long as God chose your line where you would fit into that and it fit your ideology and your understanding and your indoctrination through the traditions of the rabbis that are telling you, as long as it fit into that mold, you were happy with God. But the moment that Gentiles were ever included in Scripture, included, I'm not in Scripture, included into salvation, that's when you had a problem with God's Messiah. And so here's the thing. He talks about in Romans chapter 9, the past of Israel, the past of the Jews, and then he talks about in Romans chapter 10, the present, the present day of what's going on in the heart and the mind of a Jew. As he looks at that and he says, listen, you know, right now you're, you're rejecting Christ. You're rejecting Christ. And as you're rejecting Christ, know this. Today, anybody can come to Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Here's the present day thing. He addresses the Jews in the present day. And in Romans chapter 11, he, he then addresses the future and and so paul he deals with the past in romans 9 he deals with the present in romans 10 and in the future he's dealing with it in romans chapter 11 and let's dig in there he says in romans chapter 11 verse 1 he says listen and know this he didn't have romans 11 he didn't put okay i'm going to make a new chapter here this is just for us you know somebody else came in and put these chapter breaks in here these aren't divinely inspired or anything like this the words are but the chapter breaks and the verses and all those kinds of things, those are just in there to help us to reference and address areas of Scripture. And so he had talked about in Romans chapter 10 how you're rejecting everybody that God sends to you as a Jew. And, and, and here's the thing. We had a problem. When I was over there, I had a problem too. And, and in fact, he, he, he references the Psalms. He references Deuteronomy and, and Moses. He references Isaiah. And he says... These are some of the areas of scriptures that we really struggled with and that we stumbled on. The sound has gone out to all the word earth in verse 18 of, of chapter 10. Their words and their words to the end of the world. Uh, he says in verse uh, 19, he says, I, I'm sorry, I should have started in verse 19. I say, did Israel not know? First, yeah, Moses told us. And it was something that struggled, we struggled with because we didn't understand it. I will provoke you. God spoke through Moses. He said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And I will anger you by a foolish nation. And so we were confused by that as Jews because we're going, how in the world could God choose us as a nation and then use another nation to make us jealous because they're serving God? It just doesn't make sense. Because God has chosen us to, to honor him. How can he honor another nation? How can he honor another people and cause us to be jealous over that. That just doesn't make sense. That must have another meaning. 
And Paul goes, no, it didn't have another meaning. What it had is a meaning, the truth of the meaning was, is that God is going to use the Gentiles to cause us to have jealousy towards us, towards, or towards the Gentiles, because God has given salvation to the Gentiles. See, if there's an open mind of the Jew, he would go, well, you know what, that makes sense. And that's what Paul's trying to dig into. In verse 20, he says, um, Isaiah, this is, your, this is our prophet also. Again, Paul is a Jew. He says, did Israel, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold. He says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Paul's going, in, in, in just referencing that, he's telling the Jews, he's saying to the Jews, he's going, that's a scare, an area of scripture that we all talked about as Pharisees. We didn't understand it. We couldn't figure out who that was talking about. We struggled with that. I struggled with it. You're struggling with it. Here's the thing. God was found by those who didn't seek him. He was made known to those who didn't ask for him. Who could he possibly talk, be talking about? We're the chosen nation of Israel. We're the chosen people. You're saying that there's another people? No, there can't be another people. No, there can't be anybody else that's going to be chosen because he chose us. We don't want him to choose anybody else. We want to be the chosen ones. And so here's the thing. We struggled with that, Paul would say. But it's made known and makes perfect sense in Christ because it was offered to the Jews. It doesn't negate what God wants to do in your life. It just means that he wants to save other people also. He says into Israel in verse 21, all day long God says, I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. And he goes, listen, we all know our history. We know that we've been stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears. We know that we have been disobedient to God time after time after time. And yet God, he still shows his grace towards us, doesn't he? He still loves us. And so chapter 10 to chapter 11 doesn't have a break. Paul is just saying, listen, God loved us. And all day long, God stretched out his hand to us. And yet we were disobedient and we were contrary to him. And so Paul then answers, he asks the question that is going to be the obvious question that the Jew would ask, and he answers it also. He says, I say then, has God, verse 1 of chapter 11, has God cast away his people? Has God cast away the Jews? He says, absolutely not, certainly not. And then he uses himself as the case one point. He says, look at me, I am a Jew. I am a Jew. I am also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. He says, you don't get much more Jewish than me. I'm a Jew. Has he cast me away? No, he hasn't. And he hasn't cast you away either, Jews. He hasn't cast you away either. God has not cast away his people in verse 2, whom he foreknew. He loves you still, he's saying. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how, how Elijah pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life? But what does the divine response say to him? God says to Elijah, Elijah, chill. He doesn't say, oh, but that's what he's meaning. I have reserved for myself, Elijah, 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee, the, the knee to Baal. Have you ever felt that way? Where it seems like you're the only one that's doing the right thing and everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Maybe you're a Christian and you sit there and you look and you just go, how in the world does the, does the, does the Christians not see what's going on? Lord, I think I'm the last Christian alive. 
Have you ever kind of puffed yourself up and say, hey, I think I'm the last Christian alive? Hopefully not, but if you, you might get there. I don't know. And, and God shakes his head and he tells you, just like he told Elijah, listen, I have reserved for myself thousands. Thousands. You're not the only one. Elijah, what happened? Listen. And, and this is important for us even as a, as a church to understand. Because right now, sin has infiltrated the church. I don't know if I just knocked anybody over with a surprise, but sin has infiltrated the church, right? Sin has taken the church by storm. And so here's the thing. Jesus talks about a seed, a mustard seed, how it grew into a big, big tree. But a mustard tree, mustard seed tree, is 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 uh, I'm trying to think of the word. It's 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 not possible. It's not a tree. It's it's like saying you know uh, a dandelion. Okay, we all know what dandelions are. They're the weeds that are in your yard. You know the little things that have the little white puffy things on them. Um, that would be like saying, hey, it grew into this great big dandelion tree. We don't have dandelion tree. Well, we kind of have things that look like it, but there's, that was a quick little illustration off my head. But you know what I'm talking about. A mustard tree, a mustard seed doesn't grow into a tree. It grows into a, a, a plant, a little shrub. But Jesus says that this mustard tree or mustard seed, it grew into this huge monstrosity of a tree. And the birds came and nested in its branches. Well, the reference that he was making there in that, and I don't have time to go back and prove my points, but you can go back and look at it. But here's the thing. The mustard seed that grew into a tree was improper. It, it was not a proper growth. It grew. There's a lot of churches, some of the largest churches in America today. I don't know if they have pastors that are saved because they definitely don't preach the true gospel. They shy away from it. In fact, they pride themselves of saying, I don't even talk about sin. I don't want to talk about sin. Uh, one of the largest churches in America, if not the largest church in America, is Joel Olstein's church. I don't have a problem naming him. If you're listening to that guy on TV, you need to really ask the Lord, is this a guy that I should be listening to? Because here's the thing. He won't talk about hell. He won't talk about sin. And that's what Jesus talked about. He talked about those things. So what Joel Olstein says is, yeah, I don't want to talk about the negative things that Jesus talked about. I only want to talk about the positive things. So what you're saying is that the things that Jesus said weren't good enough for you to talk about. And that angers me. That, that's, that to me is borderline blasphemous. When you take God's words, and I believe that Jesus is God in human flesh, and you say, his words are not good enough for today. My words are better than his. I'm going to... I'm going to scale back what Jesus said because I think I know what's better for the world. I think that's borderline making yourself into be a God. And he has millions of followers. But he has this nice smile and he opens a Bible. But so does Satan. Three times Satan used the word of God against Jesus when he was tempted in the mount of transfer in the in the, uh, the the wilderness of temptation, three times Satan used scripture. Hey, why don't you jump off this this building? 
Because the scripture says, you will not fall lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus says, have you also not read, you shall not tempt the Lord your God? So just because somebody uses scripture doesn't mean, oh man, there must be holy. Satan uses scripture. He used it with Jesus. And Jesus contradicted him with other scripture saying, hey, what you're trying to do is you're trying to use scripture in order to get your own way. You're trying to manipulate and deceive using scripture when in actuality, Jesus says to look at the purity and the the face value of scripture and live by it. Why don't you command some of these rocks to become bread? Because listen, anything comes from your mouth, you know, you can do it. Jesus says, hey, man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out, it proceeds out of the mouth of God. Listen, he, he, he takes scripture and he, and he twists it, Satan does. And it's happening in churches all over America today. I believe that the seed that Jesus was talking about has grown into this tree. And I believe that what he was talking about is that tree became the church. And when you go back and you look at the rite of first mention, when you look back at the parables as Jesus talks about um, the birds, every time Jesus talks about a bird in a parable, it's talking about the evil one coming and snatching away the true seed of God. And, And to have this one parable that Jesus talks about, the seed growing into an abnormality, this abnormal tree, this abnormal growth, we have an abnormal growth of many churches in America and you've got birds that are nesting in their branches. Now, you know, I know how this can sound to anybody who listens to what I'm saying. Oh yeah, you little pastor of a small little congregation in a little strip mall. Who do you think you are talking about somebody who has this big, vast ministry? Don't you think that they know better than you? I don't know. Probably. They, they probably are smarter than me. I, I don't doubt that. But if they're not taking the word of God, I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, measure it up against me. I'm saying measure it up against God's word. And if God's word is bigger than what you're doing in your church, then you need to change. And if God's word is telling us what we're doing in our church is wrong, we need to change. Because it's not about Don Haskins and it's not about Joel Olstein. It's not about building a bigger building. It's about glorifying Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's about living for him. I don't care about the numbers. Well, I think you should care about numbers. I don't think Jesus did. He chased away over 15,000 people in one day. And then asked the disciples, hey, you guys want to go too? He wasn't intimidated by people leaving. He wasn't there to win a popularity contest. He said some hard things and everybody's going, oh, man, I'm not into this, man. We're leaving. We're out of here. 5,000 men, or 5,000 men besides women and children. There could be up to 15, 20, even 25,000 people that were around Jesus. They all picked up their mats and they went home because they didn't like what Jesus said. And Jesus didn't go, hey, wait, 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 guys, you didn't hear what I had to say. We have this big building program we're wanting to go on and, and here, with you guys gone, we're not going to be able to do it. And, and, and so here's the thing. Come on back. Let me explain myself. He didn't do that. He just let them walk away. And once they were out, without, uh, you know, out of hearing range, he looked over to the 12 disciples who were sitting there, I believe, probably with jaws on the ground going, 
You're just letting him walk away? What are you going to do? He's going to call him back. He's not calling him back. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? And Jesus looks over at him and goes, you guys want to go too? You're asking us to go? You want us to go? He's not asking us. He's not telling us to go. He's just saying, do you guys also want to go? He's giving us a choice. Where else will we go? You're the one with words of life. We don't dispute the fact that what you just said was difficult to understand, but there is another meaning to what it is you're saying. There is something deeper that we're just not getting, but what we have seen in your life, there is something true that's coming out of your mouth. Now help us to understand. And Jesus did. And his disciples hung with him. But Jesus wasn't intimidated even by losing the disciples. And so the numbers of a church doesn't make a pastor right. The word of God makes a pastor right or wrong. It's God's word. And so here's here's Paul. Going back here, Paul is 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 sitting here and he's 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 saying, here's the thing. This this is God hasn't cast away Israel. God hasn't cast away us Jews. I'm a Jew. I'm as Jewish as anybody. And and if you think that God is, has has abandoned Israel, know this. We all remember that uh, Elijah, the story of Elijah. Elijah was driven out of town because of his fear. You all remember that story. I don't know if you don't. I'll quickly just tell you a little bit of the story. Uh, an Israel king by the name of Ahab and his wife, a Phoenician woman who was married to uh, uh, Ahab because of a, a uh, the father of Ahab thought it would be a, the father of Ahab, who was a Jew, who God said, do not intermarry with, with you know, uh, other than with Jewish, you know, brides. The father of Ahab said, here's what I want to do. I want to make a treaty with another nation. I want to build a treaty with another country. And so here's the thing. With this Phoenician city, with this Phoenician country over here, I'm going to make a treaty with the father over there. And so here's the thing. Give me your daughter Jezebel, and I'll give you my son Ahab, and they'll come together, and we'll make a treaty between our two countries, which was an absolute an abortion before God. It's something God said, do not do. And yet that's what... Omni or Omri, uh, the father of Ahab, did. He made this this unholy union between his son Ahab and a Phoenician woman by the name of Jezebel. And even right now, how many of you know any girls by the name of Jezebel? How many of you guys know that any of you know the name of of a kid by the name of Ahab? There just aren't any because they were evil, bad people. In fact, if you hear the word Jezebel today, something elicit, you know, that, that just that word elicits something in your mind. It sparks something in your mind to say, okay, that's a vindictive, manipulative, very untrustworthy, unholy, impure woman. There's something wrong with that woman, and I would stay very, very, very clear of her. Well, that's because this woman defined what that She's the one who put the definition to her name. And she was so angry with Elijah that she wanted to kill him. And word got to Elijah and Elijah goes, I'm out of town, man. And so he ran and he went and he ran so far away and he found a cave, you know, like a hundred miles away. 
And he got into a cave and then he called out to the Lord. He never asked God if I should go in the first place, but he goes and he finds himself a cave. He goes, God, okay, here I am. I'm quiet. And, and God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm trying to save your, you know, your lineage. I'm the only one that's following after you. Nobody else is doing it. Nobody else is following you, God. And God says, hey, Elijah, I have 7,000 other people who have not bowed their knee to Baal. I've reserved a remnant for me. Now, anytime I, I look at that 7,000, there's something that I also have to look at. And I don't know if you have looked at it this way, and maybe you have, and great if you have. But I think of those 7,000 people that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, that 7,000 remnant that God said that he had, and I wonder if, those 7, 000, if all 7,000 of those people really thought that they were of that 7,000 remnant from God. Did they really believe that God had handpicked them to be that? And, and I bring that up because here's the thing. I truly believe that God has a remnant today that are going to follow him to the ends of this earth through his son, Jesus Christ. They're going to take the literal word of God. They're going to live according to the literal word of God. They're going to, when the literal sense makes perfect sense, make no other sense, lest you make, amen, nonsense. So I'm going to take the word of God and I'm going to literally look at it and see what God says. And this is what, if he says this, then I'm going to do it. If he says not to do this, then I'm not going to do that. I'm going to follow God according to his word and his ways and his thoughts because in so doing, I will be obeying him. I don't need another book that comes in. I don't need another person to come in. I don't even need to have a pastor tell me how it is I'm supposed to live. I've got the word of God and the Holy Spirit to speak to me, to live, to live for God. And so here's the thing. When you live for the Lord, I think sometimes we just don't feel, if you're walking with the Lord, sometimes you go, well, I don't know. I don't know if I am. But maybe God, as, as he's looking at you, he's going, you're my remnant. <laughs> Hello? You're one that I want to use. I wonder how many of those 7,000 were not being used because they didn't think that they were qualified. How many of us don't stretch out and, 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 and venture out beyond our little four walls because we're afraid that we're not qualified when in all actuality, I believe in time past that God looked at all of the people that ever lived upon the face of the earth or will live upon the face of the earth and he looked at all of them and he, he could line them up. Not that he did line them up, but he had the ability to if he did. And he, he has all of them before him. And it just helps me in my brain to do this put them all in a line, and then God walked along and he handpicked those that would represent him in these last days. We would be considered the, the 7,000. He handpicked you to represent him in these last days. And sometimes we look at that and we go, yeah, I just don't feel qualified. I just don't feel like I know enough. For goodness sakes, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You've got God on your side. You've got the creator of the universe what is it that you don't have the capacity to do? Well, I just don't have all of the knowledge. Well, then get it. You have not because you ask not. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I just am afraid that people will argue with me. They will. I guarantee you they're going to argue with you. But people argue over everything. God handpicked you. You're of, of his remnant. And, and so here's the thing. That was just for us today, but here's the thing. He's saying to the Jews, he's going, you're thinking that God has wiped away the Jew, aren't you? 
He's wiped away. He has no plans for his people anymore. He goes, no, that's absolutely false. I'm a Jew, and he still has me working. He wants to work in your life. Here's the thing. There's a remnant that God is working with. Just like in Elijah's day, you might go, well, he's all done with this. No, he's not done with this. He still has a great plan. He says, uh, even so at this present time, verse 5, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if, and I'm going to end here fairly quick. I'm not going to read through the rest of the chapter, so don't worry. Um, Even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace, Paul tells these Jews that he's talking to. And if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. What is he talking about? Works, when he uses the word works, he's referencing the 603 laws and the Ten Commandments, so 613 total laws. If you live perfectly according to the 613 laws, that's what God is desiring from you, and you must do that. He's going, listen, if you can attain righteousness through those 613 things, then it's no longer God's grace that gets you to heaven. So here's the thing. It is God's grace that gets you to heaven, and so therefore it's not about your works. Because those are two mutually exclusive terms, right? You can't have something, you can't have grace and have works. Grace doesn't give you sal- or grace doesn't give you salvation if works can earn it. That, that's what Paul's saying. You can't, he says, listen. Even so, verse, verse 5, at this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if it's by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it's of works, well, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. What then? Has Israel obtained what it seeks? Has not Israel, I'm sorry, Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor that their eyes should not see and their ears should not hear to this very day. And David even, and he references Isaiah again and Deuteronomy and Moses, through Moses. And then verse 9, David says in Psalms, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their backs always. And next week we're going to look at a second question that he asked them because it it poses it in verse 11. But here's the thing. He's going, because you don't want to do it God's way, because you're having a hard time seeing it in God's way, because you think that you're going to find salvation through works and not by grace, because of that, because that's how we've been indoctrinated, Paul would be trying to include himself with his brothers, because that's how we've been indoctrinated. We've left out God's plan of salvation. God sent his son, God, in human flesh amongst us and we rejected him. One of the hardest things that any of us can ever deal with is this, recognizing that we've been duped. I mean, think about it. It's the hardest thing, especially as it comes to your faith, especially as it comes to what you've grown up with. I've talked to many people that are Catholics that that don't even know why they believe what they believe. I've talked to Christians who don't even know why they believe what they believe because it's what they've always done. I just do this because this is what my parents told me to do. And their parents told them and so on and so on and so on. And so I'm hanging on a tradition. So here's the thing. What you're saying is you're going to die for a tradition, even though that tradition may be wrong. So what you're saying is that those scripture 
contradicts what your tradition says, you're going to abide by your tradition of your family and reject the word of God. Well, they don't reject the word of God because they open the Bible every day. But if they're opening the Bible every day and they have to contradict what the word of God says, are they not contradicting what the word of God says? I don't care what church it is. It could be a Calvary Chapel. If we come in and we say, hey, listen, salvation is not by grace. You must work for it. Yes, it's by grace, but you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to read this book. You have to jump through these hoops. These are the things you have to do. And if a Calvary Chapel comes and says that and says, but we open the Bible every day and we talk about what the Bible says. That's what happens is that, is that people, they just take in whatever tradition they've come up with, that they've grown up with. And, and Paul's trying to break the tradition of their mind. They're trying to say, listen, don't get caught up in tradition because by tradition, men are dying. Men are dying. Women are dying. Families are being lost because of tradition. You go, well, not mine. No, because I, this tradition has been in my family for a long time. Let me ask you something. Do you think that those who believe in Santeria are going to go to heaven? They sacrifice animals and even people in the the highest of realms now you look at that and go well of course they won't but wait a minute you're going to tell a kid who grew up that's all he's ever known you're going to tell that kid you no believe in my faith because here's the thing this is what i've always known but your faith is wrong what's all that i've ever known yeah, but what you're doing is wrong. You shouldn't be killing people. Well, our tradition says we're supposed to do that. That's a sacrifice to this God. Yeah, but that's wrong. Well, who are you to tell me that it's wrong? It's our tradition. Well, your tradition is horrible. Well, what about your tradition? Now, all of a sudden, you're fighting over tradition. Here's, let's, let's just, this, here's a novel idea. How do, why don't we go to the Word of God, and let's see what the Word of God says. And if the Word of God says that my tradition sucks it does okay i gotta get rid of it i gotta get rid of my tradition i'm sorry for using that word here's the thing if it's wrong because the word of god says it's wrong well then i need to abandon my thinking it's a hard thing to do though isn't it because you feel like you're going to be betraying a grandmother or a grandfather or a family and it's tough that's why jesus says listen if a man wants to come to me and doesn't hate his mother or father or brother or sister. He's not worthy of me. You go, well, that's a pretty rough, rough statement there, Jesus. You're telling me I'm supposed to hate? The point there that he's making is that your love for him must be such that your love for him in comparison to your love for your family should be one of love to hatred. In compa- it's a comparative not an absolute hate because now Jesus would be contradicting himself when he says hey honor your father and your mother how can you honor your father or mother if you hate them you don't so Jesus wasn't contradicting himself he's saying here's the thing if your mother or father are living in a tradition that is anti-God then you got to love me more and you need to follow what it is that I'm telling you to do or you're not going to be worthy of me you're going to die in your sin you're going to die in your tradition Your tradition didn't live for you. It didn't die for you. So it's a tough thing. 
for us to come to this realization that maybe I was duped. And so that's why I challenge you, when you go home after a message like this, or any message that I ever do, look up in the Word of God and see if what I've said is right or wrong. If it's wrong, come back and tell me. And if I'm wrong, and, and give me an opportunity to explain why it is that I said what I, what I said. And if, if, if what I said was wrong, you go, well, that's kind of, I don't want to do that. You're a pastor. I don't want to come against you. I am a man. I am a buffoon that Jesus saved. I am nothing apart from Christ. And here's the thing. It is Christ who lives in me. And if you can show me that I'm not living or I'm not doing what, and I'm not teaching what the Word of God says, then I am at fault and I am in danger. And I don't want to have to stand before God and go, well, it's what I always knew. It's what I always was taught. Maybe you're the person that needs to come and talk to me and say, hey, this doesn't jive. What you're saying doesn't jive with Scripture. Let me dig into it. Let me find out. I don't know all the answers. I just know that Jesus does. And if you can show me that I'm not right, I'll change. Because this isn't about Don Haskins' church. This is Calvary Chapel that's dedicated to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it's about. I want to teach the truth. And so there's the thing. Don't let tradition trip you up. That's what Paul's having to argue with. That's what Paul's having to fight, not argue with. That's what Paul is finding himself fighting through because these Jews that he loves passionately, that God loves passionately. And we're going to get into that next week about the the future. And and I'm kind of glad that we broke it up into two weeks because I want to talk about the future of Israel next week. But here's the thing. And it's, it's really going to be a kind of a cool study as we, we look at that. But here's the thing. Paul is having to fight through tradition. He's having to fight through, I know this is what you've always learned. I know that this is tradition. I know that this is what you've always been taught by even Gamaliel. But Gamaliel was wrong. Huh? Gamaliel was wrong? That's blasphemous. no. Because Gamaliel was an imperfect sinner just like you and I. He needs, a, he needs a savior too. Just like if us, if we went, you know, Paul was perfect. No, Paul was not perfect. There's many areas in scripture that you can look and see and Paul tells on himself of how Paul was not perfect. There's not a perfect man alive, woman alive, save Jesus Christ. And he, he lived that perfect life for you and I. And so here's the thing. It's hard to come to grips with this idea that maybe you've been duped. But I would rather offend you with that to cause you to go back and reevaluate and reexamine why you believe what you believe. Are you willing to die for what you believe if it contradicts Christ? Because here's the thing. If you are, God is not going to force you to go to heaven. And if you're going to die apart from and dismiss what Christ shows, what God shows through his word, if you're going to dismiss that, you will then be left to your own resources to try to find salvation. And you, God is not going to show grace because you dismissed his word. You dismissed his gift. You dismissed his plan because you didn't understand it and you never wanted to understand it because it was too 
hard to actually, your ego was too big to say, I was wrong. My family was wrong. My grandma and grandpa were wrong. It's tough, man. That's tough to come to. But are you willing to come to that? Because here's the thing. You got people that are coming up behind you. Here's the thing. I say that all the time, don't I? Here's the thing. Maybe it's time to start a new tradition. One that's based upon word for word of what the word God says. Let that be the new tradition because that's a tradition that you'll be safe in. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And and Lord, help us, help me, God, in grace to share this these difficult passages and and it is tough to talk about tradition it is tough to talk about some of these things and lord i know i get passionate and i i pray god that i don't come off so rough and so ruthless and so callous that i don't show the love of you in the midst of it my passion lord you know is not because i'm angry uh, with people passion is there because I want to see him in heaven with you. I want to break a cycle. And I know I can't do it. It has to come through you. So God, I I just pray that we would learn by ourselves to get into your word and and dig in ourselves. Find out. I'm not going to just take Don's word for it. I'm not going to just take anybody else's word for it. I'm going to get into the word and I'm going to look at it myself. Lord, even as I say that, I know that there are those in this room that are sitting here going, that's too difficult for me. Other people have done it. I don't want to put the time into it. I'm just going to pick one that I like the most and that I think is trustworthy, and that's the one I'm going to follow. It's a dangerous way for us to live our life, Lord. I pray, God, that you convict that person that lives that way. That just because somebody has a bright smile doesn't mean that they're right because a person has a positive message doesn't mean that they're right. Just because they have the largest church in America doesn't mean that they're right. Not if it contradicts your word. And so, Lord, give us the perseverance. Give us the wherewithal to get into your word and dig it out ourselves so that we can be sure. So that if there is a new tradition that is going to start in our family, it's going to start because what we see we see in black and white in your word and in red. So Lord, I pray God for us, Lord, that you would help us to be seekers of truth. That we would be like, not like tourist Christians that would just bounce along in the high points of the positive things or even even of the negative things. We just kind of touch different things along the way, kind of like a tourist does as they go in and, and, and visits an area. They just touch everything and see everything, all the big sites, but never really get into and never really think about what's going on. Now, it's, it's okay to do that sometimes. Lord, you know. But Lord, help us to be like archaeologist Christians that will go to a place and dig, carefully brush, and dig a little bit more, carefully brush, and handle that soil, handle that word, handle that ground with such care and scrutiny that we dig in and we find out what was the truth that happened here. We don't just touch the highlights, but Lord, 
Help us to know the balance between the two. Help us to dig into the word to know the truth. But Lord, also help us to enjoy your word because Lord, you've given us a life where Jesus, you said that the thief came to steal, kill and destroy, but that you came that we would have life and that more abundantly. And that's not for heaven. It's not a message for heaven. That's a message for today. So we can have an abundant life. You say that you wanted your joy to be in us and, and that your, our joy would be full. Then Lord, help us to know the balance. Help us to dig into your word. Help us to cast aside and not hold an anchor on a tradition, but Lord, help us to put an anchor into your word and trust your word. And God, give us, this, give us the, 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 the intellect, the understanding, the ability, the heart, and the willingness to change if you've called us to change. Help us to know that you have the answer and not us. God, I lift up my brothers and sisters in this room and everybody who's listening to this. I pray, God, that we we hold you as the standard of truth. For you yourself said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no man, woman or child, comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, you said that. So Lord, help us to find our way, truth, and life through you. In Jesus' name, amen.